Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to the Film Realist Podcast on location, not a film location, but I'm on vacation. And this episode will be recorded uh, using technology that is not usually a part of my editing process. So apologies for the sound quality. I am currently sitting in my hotel room, but did not want to delay recording this episode and hopefully uploading at a timely manner. This, of course, will be, if you've been following the podcast, the review of my most anticipated film of the year. That is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. As per usual, there will be a non-spoiler and spoiler section of the review. Time codes will be listed in the description. Let's not delay any further and get into my initial non-spoiler thoughts for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was directed by James Mangold, the first installment not to be directed by Steven Spielberg. It has several listed screenwriters as and obviously stars Harrison Ford as the titular character, also bringing in Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonio Banderas, Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, and Mads Mikkelsen as the film's antagonist. All right, so I know there are a lot of people who are curious about how I thought about the film. The anticipation from myself directly was high. I would be lying if I didn't admit that after the, we'll say, mixed reception at con, that I was nervous going in to this film. Again, my most anticipated film of the year, Indiana Jones, I think it's safe to say, is my favorite film character of all time. I have been cosplaying as this character since I was a little kid. And I have to say, while I wasn't disappointed because my expectations were, I think, mixed going in, given the reception I had heard from people that I respect, that the film's good, not great. And while I don't like hearing specific opinions from friends of mine going into the film, it me seeing it later, I saw this Sunday afternoon in the middle of New Brunswick, and I think the film is good, not great. There are some phenomenal scenes sprinkled throughout the film. Harrison Ford clearly cares about this character. If you're judging it on his performance alone, I would say that this is his best performance as indie outside of the original trilogy. Now, obviously, the biggest comparisons for this is going to be Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which for 15 years was the conclusion of this quadrilogy, which is now a quintilogy, I believe. I'm going to have to look that up later to find out if that's correct. But for the terminology of a five-film franchise, it's a lot of F words in the same sentence. And so there are some phenomenal indie moments in this film. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a character who's going to be very divisive among some fans in general because of the dialogue that she has to say, being somebody in the 60s. Now, again, I'm going in the spoil, non-spoiler section of this review, I'm going to touch on moments that are in the trailers and the marketing material. That's not spoilers. Disney Lucasfilm Paramount also has a stake in the release in this, which was certainly something that I was not expecting leading into that, even though I did know that they have a percentage of the theatrical releases for this film as the original trilogy, and I guess it would have been the fourth one at the time, were all released through Paramount Pictures. There has been 
a conversation around the film having a phenomenal opening sequence, which I'm not going to say what it is, and that the film kind of teeters off from there. I would agree that the opening of the film is very classic Indiana Jones, while at times the de-aging, deepfake, whatever technologically, that's a very long word, that's not the right word, but whatever technology that they did use to bring back, I guess he would have been probably late 30s at the time, Harrison Ford's age, World War II era, we do see in the trailers that he's fighting Nazis in part of the flashback sequence that because of Harrison Ford's age, there was the, there were two main ways that they were going to be able to do this. They have already recast a Harrison Ford-led role, obviously with that in Solo, and Alden did the best that he could. I think ultimately the script and the direction let him down in that film. But Lucasfilm in general, if you've been watching any of the Star Wars content, anytime they've been handling a legacy character, there is a significant amount of apprehension to whether or not they are going to recast that role. And we have seen that they haven't. They've used deep fakes or de-aging effects for Luke Skywalker. They've brought Carrie Fisher back to life in Rogue One. And so they weren't going to do that in this film with Harrison Ford's last hurrah as this character. So we had to go back to de-aging. And there's been some criticism whether it looks like Tron legacy version of Jeff Bridges. And I wouldn't agree with that sentiment. I think it's much better. There is something to be said where you have to accept that that just is the character. And when it comes to the dialogue, I think it does work really well at times. And given how long it's been since we've seen that version of Harrison Ford for that, for the most part, I think that it works. There may or may not be more than one flashback where we get to see a different age Harrison Ford. That's probably the biggest dilemma of this entire franchise is that they made three films in the 80s and then did not make a fourth until 2008 and then did not make the fifth and final film until 2023. Obviously, pandemic has affected when this could have been shot, but obviously Harrison Ford was in his much matured years by the time you got to the last two films in the franchise. But as I mentioned at the very start of this, I think you can really see his care and love for this character. There are a handful of scenes, particularly more dramatic, where you really do get to see the emotion out of Harrison Ford as this character, as this person who has lived through an insane life, whether that was dealing with Nazis in, I guess, three of the five films, as well as obviously the traumatic events of Temple of Doom and the ever-evolving relationships he's had with returning characters throughout the franchise. And the way that the film does address Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I really enjoyed that because it's not played for laughs, but it shows the toll that all of these things have had on Harrison Ford. It's not the years, honey, it's the mileage. And we really do get to see the miles that this person has been through. And for that, I really appreciate that. Not treating this character who's had these, you could argue, ridiculous adventures and making a farce of them, but really getting to see the drama that there is with this person who, at the end of the day, was all about fact, not myth or religion to some degree, and somebody who's actually had 
to have what he believes to be tested. And we get to see that from this character, especially with what happens in this film. I liked Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I like having a character who is dramatically different than Harrison Ford. A character who is similar to a character we've seen in The Last Crusade, where their perspective on archaeology is very different from Indiana Jones's. You do get to see, again, in the trailers, we do get some a couple of scenes with Sala, and I really did like getting to see how that character's life has evolved since we last saw him in The Last Crusade, which would have been, I believe it's in 1939. And so jumping 30 years, how has that character's life changed? The overall MacGuffin hunt of the film is okay. Now, I have seen far worse films that handle a treasure hunt to some degree in the recent future with things like Uncharted or even the National Treasure films. And obviously they don't have Harrison Ford, so it's dramatically different in terms of how, they're, how they are going to handle that treasure hunt. The MacGuffin of the film is really interesting because the perspective as to why each character is after it is very different than what we've had from an Indiana Jones film before. There's been some criticism about to some degree, if it's sort of hodgepodge scenes put together, and I don't think so. One of the parts of the film holding it back is that there is only so much Harrison Ford at 80 years old is going to be able to do. And coming off of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which was 15 years ago when he would have been in his 60s, he is capable of doing a lot more in that film than he is in this film. And I would not say that he is second fiddle to anybody. This is his film, but... With what that character is able to do physically, there are going to be people around him who are able to do more. And we do not get to see the level of stunts that you would be used to from Indiana Jones, particularly with the original trilogy. Again, somebody in his 30s and 40s to now with his 80s does affect the way that you are going to do action with this character. So if you are hoping for something that is significantly similar to the original trilogy, I think you're going to be disappointed because the action is toned down even more so from something like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which when going back to watch it, which I did watch all four of the films leading into this this review, that he's still quite spry for somebody in his mid-60s in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which was something that I don't think I had taken into consideration when watching it for the first time. Ironically, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull being the first Indiana Jones film I ever did see in theaters, I have now amended that fact, and I have had the opportunity to see all of them now in theaters. So it's being one of my favorite franchises of all time. I'm glad to say that I can do that. There is a dramatic... I don't even know how to express it, but the what they ultimately do in the film with the MacGuffin is a leap that I don't think the other films asked you to do in terms of belief. But given how we've handled such supernatural and even extraterrestrial elements in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, this next step being what they do, it is kind of insane in terms of the leap that is required, I was able to accept it given how what the film is all about. One of the aspects that I enjoyed most about the film is the respect to the previous four films and not demeaning to any of them in particular, but that history played through the film. And 
I think where I was most disappointed ultimately was with the handling of the actual conclusion to the franchise. Now, Logan being a film where James Mangold did retire two characters from the original X-Men franchise, that was the bar that I had in mind leading into this film. He's so, James Mangold is a writer and a director where he has not made a film that ultimately I've been disappointed in, but the ultimate conclusion to Harrison Ford's run as Indiana Jones seemed to have multiple ideas presented, but ultimately the conclusion that they choose is not something that is overall definitive to some degree, which was disappointing. There were certainly scenes throughout the movie that were quite emotional, and when the drama was played up, I really did feel that there was more care into how that was handled from Harrison Ford as opposed to, in my opinion, how it was done in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg being heavily involved in that film and having almost nothing to do with this one. And so that, the ending of the film is well done, but ultimately the story conclusion feels, I wouldn't say empty, but it doesn't go out on a triumphant moment that you would expect from this character. The thing that I can say without spoiling it is it's not Last Crusade, Harrison Ford riding off into an actual sunset which for a long time was how those films ended. And that is not what happens here. I'm assuming they are not going to do a spin-off with Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Helena Shaw anytime soon, as I said in the intro. I think that would be stepping on Harrison Ford's triumphant return to this character and ultimate final appearance as said character. So... I think the film is good, not great. I agree with that sentiment. If you are a fan of Indiana Jones, as I am, I think you are going to find a lot to enjoy about this. Mads Mikkelsen is a good character. I love how Boyd Holbrook is in the movie so he can be in an Indiana Jones movie. His character's not given much to do. The henchman, I would say outside of just dramatic size, which one of them, I could not even tell you his name, they lack any unique qualities to make them memorable outside of them just being there. Mads Mikkelsen is somebody who is very intellectually based and his history with Nazi Germany is one that is something that I don't think we've explored before with what was going on during World War II. Obviously, the other two films that dealt with that, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade, address it in a very different way, but because of when this film takes place, we get a lot more perspective on World War II and this different sentiments from Indy and Mads Mikkelsen's character, Johann Schmidt, and how what they how their relationship to what has happened. And one of the aspects of the film that I did appreciate is because of this de-aging technology, we are able to get more context for what Indy was doing during the end of World War II and potentially after, which was one of the most disappointing factors for me in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is that it references all these cool things he'd done after the Last Crusade, but it never actually addressed them. So for that, I really do like the way that we were able to fill out more of Indiana Jones's story. And 
There is very little else I think I can say without getting into spoilers, specifically talking about the MacGuffin and ultimately the conclusion and finer character details. So I enjoyed it. I think it is certainly something worth seeing on the big screen. If you're a fan of action adventure, Indiana Jones is able to do that with the best of its abilities. Obviously, there are as the, there are areas that are going to hamper what is able to be done. As I've mentioned earlier, I would recommend going to see it. This will do it for the end of my non-spoiler review. We are going to jump into spoilers. So if you have not seen the film, there will be plot details, character moments that will be spoiled. You have been warned now. Jumping into spoilers for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Spoilers for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. All right, so we are in the full spoiler. So if you have been warned. Well, you should have been if you're listening to the episode in chronological order, but you may be jumping around. That's neither here nor there. Now, we are in full spoilers, so I'm going to bring up any plot details, MacGuffins, plot elements, action sequences, anything that can or will be spoiled. The first thing I think is to step into would be the biggest ask of the whole movie, as I mentioned in the spoilers. And there's been debate as to whether or not it is too big an ask. And one of the things I think that's important to discuss is what that has been historically speaking in terms of MacGuffin or unnatural elements in an Indiana Jones film. So moving through, one of the key differences for me has been whether it was with a religious supernatural item or something that had to be more scientifically based or extraterrestrial in the case of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, for the first three films, I don't know why, but as an audience, we seem to accept something in the supernatural realm in this genre much more acceptedly so, which I find really interesting that you have the Lost Ark, which has some obviously Christianity-based elements and also that of Judaism with Moses and whatnot and the wrath of God and that sort of element. And then you have uh, with the the Kali stones in Temple of Doom, and then the Holy Grail, obviously significantly Christianity-based in The Last Crusade. And all of those seem to be accepted. I don't know if that necessarily has to do with the time in which the films were released, all being in the 80s. And then Kingdom of the Crystal Skull has obviously extraterrestrial or interdimensional beings as they were labeled so that George Lucas could get them in the movie because famously Steven Spielberg was against having aliens as he'd done multiple films with aliens already. Close Close Encounters of the Third Kind and E.T. being the two specifically. But the ask in this film... Now, I'm going to sit on the side of... I'm not really sure how I feel about it yet, even though it's been a couple days since I've seen the movie... I think it is a big ask, but it's not something that breaks my enjoyment of the film. And that is is the Archimedes dial, which is the dial of destiny, is was invented by this ancient mathematician that it could detect fissures in time. And traveling through that fissure would allow you to travel to a specific date, depending on when you access this so-called fissure. Now, if you're sitting here listening to this going, wait a minute, Indiana Jones time travels? Yes, he does. There was a, what turned out to be, it, actually, we're not actually sure if it was leaked 
or if it was fake, which was we were going to revisit moments from the Indiana Jones franchise from a different perspective. And as ludicrous as that sounded, one of the elements that people were concerned it was going to touch on was, was Helena going to save Indy from those elements? And as somebody who is a fan of Doctor Who and other films that have time-traveled Avengers, Endgame being another one that comes to mind, I actually don't think I would have minded that if we got to see a almost redressed version of those events, even from all four previous films. This being the culmination and conclusion of this franchise, I think that would have been really cool. And it's one of the elements I think the film is missing is... Now, I don't want member berries, but some sort of conclusion to why all these events connected means something. And as somebody who is not a Hollywood screenwriter, they are, of course, are picketing right now for what I think are deserved reasons. But big studio execs don't want to pay them a livable salary. I don't understand that when there is more and more content that is required. And if you were going to undermine the people who create this stuff, it's I'm going to leave that here because it's neither here nor there. But the time travel element is seems to be a, a big sticking point for people. And one of the biggest elements is we don't actually time travel back to anything we've seen before. Even the World War II sequence that is in the very beginning that I'll get to momentarily. But we see Indiana Jones time travel to Archimedes time. And there is... And a scene where we do get to see Indy battle with whether he's going to stay here. He's been shot. The movie does play with potentially Indy dying. And while that is something James Mangold has done successfully twice with Logan and Patrick Stewart, it's not something that happens in this film. And that is one of the elements I think the film does struggle with is how exactly are we going to end Indy's run? And specifically, I guess, Harrison Ford, because... Who knows, in 30 years we may get a new Indiana Jones, but I doubt I will be doing a film and TV podcast by that point, but who knows. And there was a phenomenal scene between him and Marion at the very end, and I really did enjoy that callback as opposed to everything hurting and him reconciling with Marion, where, you know what, I'm just going to address it now, I might as well, so I'm going completely backwards throughout this, but this is Kyle's spoiler discussion of the of the film, so it's going to be all over the place, which is... The way that the film does reference Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Mutt Williams being Indiana Jones's son, Henry Jones III, is actually in a really meaningful way where we find out that at some point, Mutt, aka Shia LaBeouf, signed up to join the armed services. And it was something that Indy was against and ultimately Mutt died while in service and that this tragic event ultimately caused Marion and Indy to separate. And one of the elements I find interesting is that the decision of a son ultimately splits up two of Harrison Ford's fictional marriages. That, of course, being Kylo Ren splitting up Han and Leia in the sequel trilogy for Indiana, or Indiana Jones for Star Wars. And that in this, he reconciled with Marion in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but neither of them was emotionally equipped to handle the loss of a child. That's not overly shocking given the Ab Ab Abner Ravenwood, who was Marion's father, who clearly was globetrotting all over the place, and similarly to Indy's father with Henry Jones the first or senior, where clearly he didn't know how to handle it. And we learn in The Last Crusade through some of the best dialogue that Henry 
and his relationship with Indy's mom wasn't necessarily great. And his focus being on the grail ultimately covered up the fact that he was completely unaware that she was sick, Mrs. Jones. And so Indy not having the emotional tools to deal with the loss of a child, which is a level of sorrow that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. That scene where we learn this stuff from Indy as he's talking to Helena about one thing he would potentially alter if he could time travel is a phenomenal scene on the boat before they go and dive down for the and a piece of the dial that is the loc er, sorry the location of where the second part of the dial will be now i mentioned in the non-spoiler section that the treasure hunt for the most part is okay it's the most disconnected i think from pop culture which may be something that is hard for audiences to sort of grasp at. People are aware of the arc. I'd say less so with the items that are in the chakra stones that are in Indiana or in Temple of Doom and then the Holy Grail being one of the most famous potentially objects of all time and the skulls and kingdom maybe less so. So that may be an element that I think some audiences might have a hard time grasping with. But ultimately, one of the elements of the film that I did enjoy was you do get to see the monsters or the area of disgusting animals. I don't want it to be that I'm sounding rude, but so we have eels in this. And I don't think that scene reaches even the levels of, I think it's on par, I guess, with the fire ants from King to the Crystal Skull. One of the elements that's been lost in the 21st century Indiana Jones films is the level of grotesqueness to some degree. Now, does that have to do the fact, well, one was released by Paramount and then this one being released by Disney. How far they're willing to push that PG-13 rating is not as significant as, well, the invention of PG-13 with Temple of Dune moving onward, but even that with Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think the relationship between Helena being somebody who's all about the money and that her father, Toby Jones, Basil Shaw, I believe is his name, in the beginning of the film, we get to see him, his relationship with Indy near the end of World War II, as I mentioned in the non-spoiler section, with all the de-aging effects on Harrison Ford. And I think they look good for the most part. There's a, there are some shots that are a little bit of Uncanny Valley, but I enjoyed that sequence as a whole. It is probably the best sequence of the whole film, just in terms of its similarities to the original trilogy, and I really did enjoy that, establishing the item, or at least half of Archimedes' dial that we do get to see from Jorgen Voller, who is Mads Mikkelsen's other character name, his actual birth name, being somebody who worked for Hitler, but ultimately realizes the downfall of what Hitler's choices were, and that's the reason he wants to time travel back, is as opposed to every Nazi that Indy has come into contact with before, he knows Hitler's mis mistakes and wants to correct them, and he would be the, the new Führer for the Nazi party. And I think that's really interesting. He's not overly menacing. He doesn't have, outside of it being Mads Mikkelsen, who was a very good actor, he doesn't have something unique, I think, that you could pull to that's ultimately memorable. There's not one scene where you went, oh, that's Belloc, or that's even the guy with the hat who has the one half of the medallion burned into his hand. There's not some one particular scene where if you were going to make a clip show of all of the memorable moments from the Indiana Jones villains, I don't think they're really in there. Boyd Holbrook is good, but he's ultimately just a glorified henchman. And 
I think he's had better roles in other films and television with that being in The Sandman or even in Logan where he had some charm, whether it was with a U.S. Southern accent. That's not really in here. There's a big strong man, but outside of being big and strong, he's also not overly memorable at all. I've seen some criticism that this film feels like it was written in AI. I would disagree with that because I think the heartwarming moments only work when that comes from somebody who has a respect for Indiana Jones and the film history that it has had, him being one of the most iconic characters in film history. And establishing those elements such as the relationship between Marion and Indy's relationship with Basil and ultimately taking the dial from him because it became this obsessive item is something interesting. And while it's introduced, I don't think it's explored as much. It seems that Helena's relationship with her father is not something that the film plays off with. I think a better film would have addressed this relationship with a paternal figure being Indy and that's something that I think is a fair criticism of the film is that it addresses a lot of Indiana Jones tropes, but even in previous films with James Mangold, I would have appreciated him exploring that more where you have this relationship where Indy and Helena are not on the same page and exploring that could have been the focus of the film as opposed to something that's introduced in the beginning, which is people are killed at the university that Indy is at. And he's one for murder, which is why he flees the United States and ultimately goes on this journey to find the dial. That plot element is completely discarded. And why I said in this non-spoiler section of the review, I think the film is good, not great. There are some great moments peppered throughout and ultimately some things that wind up going nowhere, which is disappointing, would be if the film potentially had less screenwriters and there was more focus as what I addressed earlier. And... Getting to see the all, the big scale battle that we do get to see when they go to ancient Syracuse where they actually in fact meet Archimedes was really interesting. But because the film seems to lack that focus, I don't think the conclusion that it comes to is something that's going to be, well, this is Indy's great last moment. Part of that could come down to the fact that, again, Harrison Ford is in his 80s, so you're not going to get a conclusion that's action-packed as you would get with other things, or some main character moment, which you do get to some degree with his reconciliation with Marion at the end, as, as I've mentioned earlier. But I think that's the part for me that was the most disappointing. The film has, is good because there are some great elements, and I've said this already. The opening action sequence is amazing. There are some good character moments, but it seems like there were potentially too many cooks in the kitchen. So ultimately, it leaves you with a good experience, not great. I think it's something that does look good on the big screen. I probably could talk about this all day long, but given everything I've had to say, I think you can get a fair understanding of how I feel felt about the film. Problem with listing things as your most anticipated, if you're that eager for the film, you may wind up being disappointed. I don't think I was because of the reception prior to going into the film. It is one I'm going to enjoy to rewatch. I'm very curious on if the experience watching all five all the way through, I guess that would be probably 12 hours in total, is does that change my experience going in? I did, of course, as I mentioned, watch all four leading into it, but I'm curious, having more time to watch this film, is that going to make a difference? That will do it for my review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. You can tweet at me, at Kyle underscore Naranya, if you enjoyed the film. 
or you can tweet the specific podcast at Film Realist. Don't forget, Elis has two E's. That will do it for this film. Let's get into the outro. Next week's episode might be a little bit different than normal. I th- what I'm thinking I'm going to do is I am going to give reaction or initial reactions to the first what will be three episodes of Secret Invasion and my reaction to the first three episodes of Warrior Season 3. If you're a first-time listener to this podcast, I highly recommend you check out the first two seasons of Warrior. It's a show that was created by Bruce Lee in the 70s, but ultimately did not wind up getting made until the late 2010s. It's a kung fu western. I think the story is fantastic. The action is some of the best you will see on TV, period. It's available on Crave or HBO Max. I'm not sure where it would be available for the rest of the world, but I highly recommend you check those two shows out because I will just be giving full spoiler discussions on the both of those. As always, if you'd like a question to be answered in a mailbag segment, you can tweet at me or at the podcast Twitter. You can send an email. All the contact information is, of course, listed in the episode description. The theme song for the podcast was composed by the band You Versus Me. You can find their music on Apple Music or Spotify. That will do it for this week. Likely the last episode where I will be recording it on my phone in a hotel room. I hope you enjoyed this one and I hope to see you on the next one.